0: on your social media. And it's, it's one way, way to reach, reach other, other people and, and give somebody, somebody hope that needs it. And uh, uh, how many knows people need hope? hope. Right? You believe yes. that? Yes. Everything, Everything in this world doesn't give us a reason for hope. There's, There's really, really not a re- lot of things that are saying, hey, be, be hopeful, hopeful today. There's, There's not a lot of that. And uh, one of the things the Bible uses is it uses this word expectation. And oftentimes when it uses the word expectation, it's overlaid with the meaning of hope. Hope, expectation and hope. Hope is necessary. Hope and expectation are necessary because they're the fuel of faith. Without hope and expectation, there is no faith. Because faith, it requires a substance. And the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when we're looking at God's promises, we put hope in God's promises and we apply faith to that. And that promise becomes the substance of our faith. And so here's the deal. This is what I want you to know. I want you to say this. I have a right to expect good things from a good God. My question is, is what are you expecting, Christian? Do you have an anticipation? Do you have an expectation? If you believe God for nothing, you're going to get nothing. You're not created to live this life alone. God never created you that way. You're created to be in partnership. So while your plans and ideas may be good ones, Jesus has a way better one. Yeah? Yeah? The Bible says many are the plans of the man's heart, but the Lord establishes the way. <laughs> you can plan all you want, but Jesus knows the way, right? So it's better to get it from him, but you have a right to expect. A lot of times we've treated this, we've treated this um, uh, faith as if we, if we don't understand or we don't call people into the relational component that is there. We say we have a relationship with Jesus, and then I ask the Christians, well, what does that look like? We all know the lingo, but what does that actually look like? Do you have a relationship with him? Is he a part of your life? Is your life integrated with his? Is his life integrated with yours? Or do you just do everything your way? We're Frank Sinatra Christians. I did it my way. Mistakes, so oh, I made a few. But I did it my way. <laughs> We're supposed to, the Bible says, in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. Everything is from him, everything is for him, everything is by him, and everything is unto him. Jesus is the preeminent, and he is far more interested in your success and your well-being and in your victory than you realize. People think all the time, well, if I let the Lord guide me or direct me, I think I have a better idea. God's not going to have a good idea for me. Well, who told you that? He knows how you're made more than you know how you're made. He knows you more than you know you. You think you know you? You don't know you. Jesus really knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. He knows what your motivations are. He knows what you're capable of. He knows the keys and the secrets to your heart. That's what he wants. He, the Bible says, well, one of the, uh, the ancients wrote, one of the ancients wrote this. This is the glory of the Lord is man fully alive. God's glory is expressed in us being fully alive. Not fully alive to ourselves, but fully alive in unity with him. God's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. You're created for destiny. You're created for weight. You're created for goodness. You know it. You can feel it. You don't quite know how to get there. You're supposed to do something meaningful, whether it's run in the Olympics or take care of somebody in your family or be a nurturer, whatever it may be. It can be from the small to the great. None of, that's, none of that is, is, is what's important. Jesus rates us and scales us not in our ability to choose, not in our ability to manifest what the Lord deems successful. Jesus rates and, and scores us or uh, um, rewards us based upon the faithfulness to who we are as He has created us to be. And that requires discovery, that requires being drawn unto Him, that requires a relationship, and biggest thing it requires is expectation. Right? expectation my soul waits patiently for God alone from my expectation comes from him a lot of your angst a lot of your desire a lot of the gnawing in your heart and your dissatisfaction is something that's that's moving in you because God has put it in you you're not you're not satisfied with the status quo there's a reason for that you're not satisfied with average there's a reason for that You're not satisfied with self-seeking. That's why people that become self-seeking or live their lives in total indulgence of themselves are often destroyed. (laughs) Look around. Fame and fortune. Man was not created for glory. We can't handle it. We were created to stand in the light of the glory. We were created to glorify the one who made us. Man was never created to take glory unto himself. Every time man takes glory unto himself, he destroys himself. Every single time. So how we can look at these people that are rich and famous and have all of these things. And we wonder, how could they live such destructive lives? How could they commit suicide or literally just blow their world up? Because man was not created for glory. We were created by glory. We're created to stand in the light of his glory. And we're created to be vessels and instruments of glory. And that's really where we find our harmony. In him we live, move, and have our being not in, of our, in and of ourselves. So my soul waits patiently for the Lord. Hey, wow, let there be light. That's right. Heaven just said, yes, that's true. Keep going, Kevin. <laughs> you have a right to expect good things. You have a right, okay? Don't diminish it. Your heavenly Father gives you a right to expect from his goodness. It says, for surely there is, here's Proverbs 23, right? So we're talking about expectation, talking about hope. For surely there is an ending to all things. And your hope will not be cut off. So here's good news: the problems that you're going through, gonna, there's going to be an end to them. Hallelujah! Right? Can I get anybody? A wit- can I get a witness on that? Right? The Bible says, "Surely there is an end to all things. This cannot go on forever." And the Lord and the Bible goes on to say that your hope will not be cut off. What you are hoping in when you're going through something and your hope is in the Lord, the Lord says that hope will not be cut off. And that thing that you're going through will not be able to sustain itself all the time. It will come to an end. The night will pass. The storm will pass. Understand? And the Lord said, if you're hoping in me and your hope is towards me and you have an expectation of me in the good, It's not going to be cut off. One translation says, if you hope in the Lord, you will not be left with an armload of nothing. (laughs) You're not going to walk away empty handed. Nobody puts expectation and hope in the Lord and walks away with nothing. There's nowhere in the scripture. Every single person that came to the Lord in expectation and hope walked away with more than they could handle. Amen. More than you can handle. Hope, faith, expectation. We talked last week about expectation and hope and faith. And it's tippy toe. You're you're so anticipating something good that you're you're on your tippy toes. Like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, let's just be real, okay? That's shiny, happy people. Let's be real, right? Let's put it in real time. Life sucks the life out of you, doesn't it? Oh, come on. You know, we all want to go, yay, tippy toe faith. That's exciting. I'm in on tippy toe faith. But at the same time, I don't always have tippy toe faith. Because life is sucking the expectation out of me. Life is just pulling it out of me. I live in a real world. I have a spirit man that wants to serve God, but I have emotions that are train wrecked by everything that comes across my path. You understand? You have to begin to discern. The Bible says that we have to the word of God is living and powerful, and it divides soul from spirit. The truth of God's word and the presence and the power of God's word, his promises, his decrees, his prophetic word, his logos, his rhema, all of that divides soul from spirit. Which means, if you have a promise from God, your emotions are irrelevant. Divide your soul, your emotions, your mind, will, and emotions. Divide that from the Spirit, which is the Word. We can't deny our emotions, but we can control them, can't we? You can get a hold of your fear. You can grip your fear. You can smack yourself in the face and say, you're not laying in bed all day. Get up. Do one thing productive. I can't. I can't take a shower. Did you do that? All right, that's a win. Let's check that box. Well, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, right? we're all over the age of 25 here. If you're under the age of 25, you don't think any there's nothing bad's gonna happen. Woo! You know, you get you get to a certain age in life, and you're like, wow. You know, you don't even want to walk out the door in the morning. <laughs> the church says we should be happy to face the day when in reality we, ex- we, we face nuclear explosions, you know, calamities. We need to know how to walk through things. We need to know how to endure things. We need to have joyful expectation, hope in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. That's what we need. That's what hope is. Say this with me. Hope, come on, is the joyful expectation of something good. It's not denying your reality. Reality and truth are two different things. Reality is what's real to you. Truth is not what is real. It looks like it's going under, but the Bible says you're not. Truth says no. Reality says yes, and truth says no. That's what happens. Reality says you're not going to overcome, but truth says you will. Yeah? Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap. Reality doesn't always agree with that, does it? Reality doesn't always agree that you're going to be prosperous, and that reality doesn't always agree that you're the head and not the tail. Reality doesn't always agree (laughs) that if you sow, you'll reap a hundredfold. Reality doesn't always tell you that, but truth does, and so we lean into truth until truth becomes our reality. That's the call of the Christian. We have to be real, and we have to acknowledge that we have emotions. We have emotions, but emotions don't rule us. Emotions don't govern us. Our emotions are to be subjugated to the spirit. I have emotions. Believe me. You have permission to have a pity party every now and then. You do. I would, I'm would. i a holy Christian, Pastor. I would never have a, whole, a pity party. Well, if you're married, your spouse would easily be able to tell me that you've had pity parties and probably more than one of them. We have pity parties. It's all right. We're human beings. But you don't live in the pity party, right? Having a pity party and living in the pity party is different. Totally different. It is. I've had the Lord come to me and go, you ready? I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. He's like, how long you need? I need a couple of days. <laughs> Are you with me? Right? We condemn each other for the very fact that makes us, for the very thing that makes us human. We're just human. You know? It's true. We make no gap for humanity. I'm not living in my pity party, but sometimes I need one. And I don't want the pity party. I hate it. I hate feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> I do. But sometimes I have to have it. And so, so, and you, you, so do you. I'm not saying that it's like, like live there. But you've got to make place for that. But in the midst of that despair or that darkness, or even in the midst of those failures, in the midst of all of that stuff, you have to have hope. And hope is a joyful expectation of something good. This is turning around. You don't know how it's turning around, but it's turning around. You don't know how this wheel's going to turn, but that wheel's going to turn. That's what hope is. Say this with me. Every area of my life that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. You want to know where the lies are? Look at your life. Wherever there is hopelessness, there is the influence of a lie. I'll never succeed. Who told you that? It's going down. Who told you that? I can't make it. Who told you that? I'll never get there. Who told you that? I'm a loser. Who told you that? I don't have what it takes. Who told you that? Every area of your life that, is, that has hopelessness, that is without hope, has the influence of the, is under the influence of a lie. If you understand how the spirit world works, right? So we're doing fire starters, so I got all this stuff clocking in me, because this is like, we're doing spirit-filled stuff in, in, in the class. The Bible says, concerning, concerning the spiritual, 1 Corinthians 14, doesn't say spiritual gifts, the Greek word is pneumatika, and it says, concerning the spiritual sphere, I would not have you ignorant. Christians are not to be ignorant of the spiritual sphere. We're not to be ignorant of the spiritual world, we're not to be ignorant of his spiritual kingdom, we're not to be ignorant of how, this, how, it, how the spiritual world works, yet we're woefully ignorant. We don't understand. So one of, the, one of the basic ways, and I try to insert this whenever I can. So God's called us to not be ignorant of how spiritual things work. One of the basic ways the spiritual world works, it works through agreement. That's why the devil is always trying to get you into an agreement. That's why it's not the devil going up, hey, sign this contract with me. He doesn't do that. He gets circumstances. The devil creates atmospheres. He creates facades and false realities and tries to get you to partner with it because that's how the spiritual world works is through agreement, right? Same thing on the other side. It works through agreement. The confessions of our faith, the standing of our faith. What do you agree with? Whose report will you believe, Joshua? You get the story? What do you what will you agree with? What shall we say to these things? What's your confession? Where's your stand? It's one of the ways that that kingdom works. And you have got to make an agreement with hope. You don't need to make an agreement with your circumstances. I don't care how real they are. No way. If my circumstances are contradictory to my destiny and my circumstances are contradictory to my identity in Christ and my circumstances are contradictory to God's promises over my life, I make no covenants. I make no agreements. I don't care what you're offering me. and Well, I'll give you, you know, a couple of these and a couple of those. And if you make an agreement with me here, wrong. I'm not making any agreement. I'm not making that deal. I'm not binding myself to such deals. But we make agreements in the promises. We make agreements in faith, the profession of our faith. Do not cast off your confidence because it has great weight of reward. Our confidence and our faith is in God's promises. What has he said? What has he told you? That's what we put our faith in. What is God's purpose? We put our faith in our identity. First of all, who we are to him, we're sons and daughters. Who is he to us? He's our heavenly father. That's basic. Then we put our faith in his nature. We haven't even gotten to his word yet. Let's just take one plus one equals two. Who is he? He's my father. Who am I to him? I'm a son. I'm not a slave. I'm not even a servant. I'm a son. This is the manifestation and the understanding that the Christian has to come to. We treat ourselves, oh, we're sinners saved by grace. Who told you that? Who told you that? I'm a son. I'm an heir. And not just an heir, I'm a joint heir. I told you that last week. Two claims of inheritance. I have a double fold, a twofold, and so do you in Christ. A twofold claim on inheritance. I'm an an heir because Jesus saved me. And I'm an heir because Jesus has made me a joint heir. You have a twofold claim on your inheritance. Not one. Until you change the way that you think, if you continually see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, and you continually see yourself, I'm just a lowly servant, I'm nothing more than a dog, or even let's go a little higher, let's tinkle it a little bit, you see yourself as a friend of God, you'll never get there. You'll be just like 99.9% of all Christians in the earth that live at the level of average. You You will never exceed. It's fine, you have lots of company at that level, You'll be, you won't be alone, that's for sure. You'll be just like everybody else because that's how most perceive. But we're not, we're not, we're not Jesus never called us those things. Those things are part of their our identity, but our high calling is sons and daughters. I'm a son who serves. I'm a son who is in close relationship, even friendship with my father. But my primary purpose before my father is a son. And not just a son in identity. A son who does his father's will. Eh? That needs to go out we got this whole kind of concept in our songs and everything about we're all sons and daughters. Yeah, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a son and a daughter? Jesus said there were two sons. One told his father he would do it and didn't. The other one said, I'm not doing it, but he did it. He said, which one was the son? Let's ask the question. Which one was the son? The one who said he would do it and didn't? Or the one who said, I'm not doing it, but did it? Which one? Which one qualifies? exactly. We're to be about our father's business. We're to do what he says. If I'm your father, where's my honor? In Malachi 3. (laughs) Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But you wonder why you you stay at the level of survival. You stay at the level. Listen, man, this faith is active. This faith is alive. This is an all-triumphant faith that manifests itself in fullness of power. Fullness of power. But that fullness of power is not on your terms. You're born again, you're saved, and you'll live at the level of mediocrity and Jesus will meet your needs. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry. But the Bible tells us to hunger and thirst for something that is more. And it's in that hunger and thirsting for what is more that our lives are called higher. The American church, which is basically the culture and philosophical church of the world. In other words, the churches in the States is so rich that we actually set the tone for the world. And so the American church needs to back up and examine our theology and see exactly what we're merchandising. We're merchandising mediocrity. We're not merchandising sons and daughterships in obedience to the heavenly call. We're not merchandising that. We're selling comfort, you know, tinkles, brass, glass beads. Jesus is all about you. Jesus isn't all about you. He said, it's all about me. And when you make it all about me, then it becomes all about you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? Seek me and what is right to me. All about me. And then it becomes all about you. That's how it works. You want it to be all about you? Then make it all about him. And all of a sudden, heaven becomes all about you. That's how it works. (laughs) Let's preach that. (laughs) Sons and daughters, ladies and gentlemen. Joyful expectation of something good. God has so much for you. So much for you. So much for you. The church says silver and gold, we have none. Yes. American church is extraordinarily rich, not just monetarily, but in resources and knowledge. But we are absent in power absent we cannot say take up your bed and walk we can we're absent in power completely void of it like a vacuum and we celebrate all of those things you're rich in need of nothing the laodicean church said jesus said i say to you you are blind and you are naked last day's church prophetically the last church in the book of revelation of the progressions of the church age if you take it that way The last church that is in the progression of the church age before the coming of the Lord is the Laodicean church. And they were what? Rich in need of nothing. But they were blind. They couldn't even see that although they possessed great things here, they were not blind to the greater things. They're blind. Nothing wrong with success. Nothing wrong with that. That's all all part of it. But we need to be able to manifest the kingdom. We need to be able to bring forth the light and the glory. It's true. It's true. This kingdom is a kingdom of power in every way. Not just the laying on of hands. Not just prophetic word. Not just knowledge. This is is an overcoming power that's been released to you. You have in in possession of yourself in spirit, in charisma, inside of you lies the spirit of God who has never been defeated. Inside of you is an overcoming power that hell itself cannot stop you. It may delay you, but it cannot stop you. It cannot defeat you. The only way he gets defeated, the only way the Christian gets defeated is when we lay down and that's what we do, we lay down. Or we get off track, we're over here. We're saying Jesus is like this. No, Jesus isn't like this, Jesus is like this. We preach a God in our own image. We break the second commandment and when we break the second commandment because we preach a God in our own image, oh, he's the savior, but he's not king. He's the savior, but he's not Lord, you see? We preach a God in our own image. That's that's the difference. And because we are preaching to God in our own image, we cannot manifest the attributes of His true nature because we're not in agreement with it. See how it works? Works with agreement. Kingdom manifests through agreement. Kingdom not only manifests through agreement, it manifests through releasing and receiving. This is another way the kingdom activates. So if you don't release, you don't receive. Basic principle worship. Come to worship. Some of y'all need to stick around for second service. And you need to just go for the worship. And say, I don't know. I'm just going to worship. You need to release yourself in worship. And then you're going to be begin to receive something from the Lord. But if you don't release yourself in worship, you're never going to receive back from him. Practicing the presence, giving, all of these principles. Servitude are all the same thing. Releasing of yourself in order to receive. Same principle. Why is Jesus saying these things? Because he's trying to activate the kingdom power in your life. Just a thought. None of that's on my notes. But none of the- every area of your life that is without hope is under the influence of a lie, Christian where is there no glistening hope in your life have joyful expectation Ephesians 2.12 says when you were without Christ you were strangers to the commonwealth of God's people you were strangers to covenants of promises and you had no hope in the world because you were without the Lord what does that say well it's saying the only people that have no hope are the people outside of Christ in Jesus, we are, we, have, we are, have access to the commonwealth of God's people. <laughs> now, I don't understand fully what the commonwealth is of God's people, but I know God's the God of the understated, so when he creates the universe, he goes, yeah, that's good. So I know when he says, there's a commonwealth, it's not just like a commonwealth, it's a commonwealth. Right? You have access in Christ to the commonwealth of God's people. All of the covenants and the promises belong to you. Who told you that? Who told you the promises aren't for today? Who told you that? Dr. So-and-so with massive theological degrees has told me that in the dispensation that we are in, there no longer is the activation of God's covenantial promises in the earth. Who told you that? 2 Corinthians. I think it's 2. All the promises in Christ are yes. And so be it. Amen all the promises. If there is a promise in the affirmative, it belongs to you. I don't care who he made it to. Surely in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying you, I will multiply you. And I say, yes, Lord. Surely in blessing you may bless me and surely in multiplying you may multiply me. Well, pastor, that's a promise made to Abraham. If I'm in Christ, then I'm Abraham's seed and I'm an heir according to the promise. Galatians. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Let's go the commonwealth and the covenants of promises. And we have access to hope. There's no such say with me. There's no such thing thing as a hopeless Christian. Now we're going to get it. We're really going to put it on your couch. You're going to say this. I have no right to be hopeless. You have no right. You have no right. Hopelessness wants you to partner with it. Oh, God doesn't love you. Who told you that? God doesn't see you. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you he doesn't see you? Who told you he doesn't love you? Who's telling you this? What voice do you listen to that is not the voice of your father's? It's exactly what the devil did to Eve, Christian. He got her to listen to another voice. And she listened to another voice. And what did the Lord say? Who told you you were naked? Whose voice have you been listening to that is not mine? Hmm? Yeah. You work. take a year out of your life and work on that one. So number one, how do we increase our expectation? Say it with me. If I want to increase my expectation, I need to expect to win. That's right. You expect to win. Expect to win. We're sons and daughters, and sons and daughters expect to win. Look at, look at Paul. So Paul's sitting in a prison. Every day in this prison, they're coming in. They're going, we're going to kill you today, Paul. We're going to kill you today. And his answer was, you promise? That was his answer. (laughs) We're to live as Christ and die as gain. Stop threatening me, man. Let's just do this thing. Let's just go. But he lived in a prison and he was writing letters and he was under the threat of death every single day of his life. And he tells, and he's writing to this church and he says, say with me, I know. know. He says, this will work out for my deliverance. You see the expectation? And how's it going to work out? Through prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit and also according to my earnest expectation and hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed. Not say it with me, in nothing I shall be ashamed. He said, I don't know how it's gonna work out. This looks really bad, and even if I die, everybody just know that I've really gained. I think it was Spurgeon. He said, one day you will hear that Charles Spurgeon has died. He said, Don't you believe it, for I will be more alive in that moment than I am with you at this present hour. <laughs> we can't be defeated. So don't try to tell you. You cannot be defeated in life or in death. You cannot. And the only way you can be defeated is if you let it. That's the only determining factor in your victory or defeat is you. In your attitude, in your choices, the alignment of your heart, the agreement. That's what determines as a believer your victory or your defeat. And your willingness to listen to what God has to tell you. He says, I shall not be ashamed because in all boldness, so now as, all, as always, Christ will be magnified in my life, whether by life or by death. He says three things. By prayer, by supply of the Holy Spirit, and by expectation. You see how expectation is necessary? So people could be praying for Paul, right? Holy Spirit could be ministering to Paul. But if Paul had no expectation, it didn't matter. Expectation opens the pathway. Expectation aligns the agreement. There's something about expectation. Expectation. There's something about hope. It changes us. It transforms us. Devil's always trying to get you in despair, man. Always trying to destroy you. Always trying to get you to look at the negative. People get divorced over 20% problems. Most marriages, so you know, everybody here? Let's just be clear. I'm married. I've been married a long time. I'm qualified to speak on this subject. (laughs) Most marriages are 80-20. 80% agreement, 20% disagreement. But we divorce over the 20%. Eight out of 10 things you guys are agreeing on. It's that 20% that you can't agree on. That's why people separate. We focus on the negative and the, f- and the lies and the, in, in our inability to deal with the negative. I've been married a long time. Probably a good half that 20% we just ignore with each other. Like, whatever. I'm <laughs> not fighting over that. It's not worth it anymore. Whatever. <laughs> Can you pick your papers up, Kevin? Sure absolutely. Let me pick the kids things up as well. While I'm at it. When I was younger, I'd be like, "What?" Ah, 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 ah. I was a totally different person. But I learned it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Is that what you would like? You'd like me to do that? No problem. Or things that she does that irritates me? Whatever. And I definitely know there are things that I do that irritate her. So... <laughs> <laughs> she's looking the other way a lot more than me. I, already, I even told her that the other day. I was like, I'm just going to tell you, you're way better at this than me. But so anyway, that being said, we speak, we speak what we, you are expecting. So here's the deal, right? So prayer and supply. And here it is again. So Paul says, I know this is going to work out and turn out through my deliverance. And then he says it again in Romans 8 and say this, and we know. Right? See, expectation. Expect to win. Don't expect the circumstances to defeat you. Paul's in prison with a, th- with a threat of life, with a threat of death over him. And he's saying, it doesn't matter. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I can't be defeated. I am going to win. If I get out of here, I'm winning. If I, get, if I die in here, I'm winning. I'm, we're, I'm winning right now. Reality doesn't tell me I'm winning, but truth tells me I'm winning. And I choose truth over reality. Romans eight twenty eight. we know all things work together to the good of those who love him and are called according to purpose. Jesus is going to turn it around, man. He's the God of the great turnaround. Say this, my God, my God breaks into breaks. impossible situations and reverses the effects. That's your God. That's your Jesus. That's not L. Ron Hubbard. That's not Buddha. That's not Krishna. Yeah, that's not the God of the culture. That's your Jesus that does that. He's the God that breaks into impossible situations and reverses the effects. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. So what I want you to, I'm going to jump off on this. Can I jump off on this? I got a couple extra minutes. I'm actually in time today. So can I jump off on this for a second? I want to show you how this works. I want to show you how this works. God breaks into your moment, Right. He breaks in, okay, so I've been working on this. I don't know if I, I'm probably going to kill my message, but I killed the message that I was going to teach on this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Over your life, there's an epic. Did you know that? There's time. So if we look at time in three dimensions, the Bible puts time in three, there's actually four dimensions. uh, If you want to, well, you know, it depends on how you're looking at it. But if you're looking at it in realms, there's four dimensions. There's the realm of eternity. But there's also, there's also a realm, there's an epic realm that's over your life. The Bible says you were created for good works from the foundation of the earth. The Lord has prepared. There's an epic over your life. It's literally the word epoch. It means the length of time. So there's a span of time over your life. And in that span of time is written your destiny. When you begin to understand your destiny, and you begin to draw from the destiny, the heavenly destiny, and you begin to live towards your destiny, time moves from the epic into what the Bible calls chronos chronological. Time now starts marching. You understand? Most Christians, their time, their destiny is not marching because they've never discovered it. Or their destiny is not marching it because they leave it up in the epoch realm and sing, "K, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Well, I know my destiny, but if God wanted my destiny, he'd do something about it. Dude, you've got to draw from your destiny, and you've got to activate into your destiny. And as soon as you draw from and activate into your destiny, it goes from epic into chronos, chronological. It starts marching. Time starts moving. Now destiny is moving. It's moving. It may be delayed, but it's moving towards a point called kairos. Kairos is the moment when everything changes. It's the moment when the realm shifts. The realm that you've been living in, you're not living in anymore. The realm has shifted. And now you're in another realm. And what do I do in this new realm, in this new arena? will I draw from my destiny in this realm. I activate my destiny in this realm. And I move Kronos forward again until I come to the next point of Kairos. And then I move into another realm. This is how it works. This is what it looks like in 30 seconds. That's what it looks like. The unlimited God comes into time and space. So he breaks into your impossible situation and he's going to reverse the effects. We want it in 24 hours. We want it in a moment. Some things it doesn't take a moment. God limits himself into time. So his word and his purpose comes into the arc of time. And God begins to maneuver. The unlimited God begins to maneuver into a limited space. He has to arrange people, he has to arrange places, and he has to arrange things in order to manifest the destiny that you have. He has to arrange people, he has to arrange places, and he has to arrange things in order to reverse the impossible situation that you find yourself in. But he does it. He does it. There's a time involved. Time is a factor in the will of God. It's true. You've prayed, God is in-breaking. He comes into time. How long, O oh Lord? How long? He told Habakkuk, write it down. He says, Though it delay, wait for it, because it will surely come. What I speak, what I release, what you activate with me, and what I activate with you, it will come. Don't lose heart. Be patient. Keep doing what I told you to do. Keep waiting when I told you to wait. So true. We have to talk ourselves into winning. That's the second thing. Expect to win (laughs) and talk yourself into winning. Say, what do I got to do to talk myself into winning? Why do I got to do that? Romans 8.21 says, 18.21 says, death and life are in the power. Excuse me, Proverbs 18.21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who understand this will eat the fruit of it. Those who love it. In other words, those who love it, those who understand that what you speak, life and death, agreement is in the power of the tongue. Psalm 38, 15 says, for in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear my words. O my God. God, well, you've got to talk yourself into, living, into winning. Listen, life talks you out of winning, doesn't it? Right? Oh, let's just do marriage again. Right? Are you having problems in your marriage? Oh, your friends. Oh, your family members. All the disgruntled people in the world start telling you what you need to do right? Oh, you just need to divorce him. You just need to hit the road, Jack. You just need to divorce her. All that other stuff. Look, I understand some situations are not reconcilable. It takes two to tangle. I get all that. But let's just talk about concept. Unless the Lord told you to do it, then don't do it. But the world will talk you into it. Oh, that business is going to fail. Oh, it's going down. Oh, read the writing on the wall, Kevin. Just read the writing on the wall. It's going to fail. You have to talk yourself into winning. Who encourages the encourager? If you can't encourage yourself, no one else will. Yeah, it's true. Psalm 40, 43, 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in the Lord and I shall praise him. He is the vanguard of my help and my God. You need to go to the mirror sometimes and you need to look at yourself and say, what is your problem? (laughs) Why are you downcast? Grab yourself. (laughs) Who told you that? Give yourself a few high karate's. I do this. I told you this before, like all those circumstances are telling me what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I remember going into the mirror and I remember standing there going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. And then I would look at myself and I'd say, OK, we don't I have no control over this, but I'm going to tell you, Kevin, this is what's not going to happen. You are not going to lose faith. You are not going to fear and you are not going to faint in the day of adversity. You are going to stand your ground no matter if your knees knock. You are going to do what God has told you to do no matter if everything burns to the ground around you. This is what's not going to happen. You may not know what is going to happen, but this is what's not going to happen. You are not going to run from this. You are going to stand. You're going to have faith. You're going to have faith in what God. You have to talk yourself into winning, Christian. Christian. David was greatly distressed, 1 Samuel chapter 30. What's going on here? David is distressed. Why? Everybody wanted to kill him. huh? David had led the people into the wrong direction. He had brought them to the wrong place. He had did the wrong things. He had made very poor decisions. David, King David, made decisions without consulting the Lord. First mistake. And those decisions led to a lot of loss, not just for himself, but for those that were around him. And it says, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. (laughs) They're going to kill him. It's your fault, man. And everybody's in a fit of rage and they're going to kill David. Because the soul of the people was grieved for every man for his sons and daughters. Because they had just experienced a tremendous amount of loss under David's leadership. And it says, but David. Everybody say, but David. Encouraged himself in the Lord. Every single thing was against him. People were against him. Everybody was talking about him. They wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to get rid of him. Everybody was blaming him. All of the circumstances were a result of his mistake. True. But David said, you know what? This is going to turn around. Because the Lord's going to turn it around. David encouraged himself in the Lord. (laughs) And David began to call upon the Lord. What's interesting, that moment in time, David called ahead and called upon the Lord in about four years. Imagine King David, oh, righteous David, the one who strings the harp and dances before the Lord. Whoo, David. He hadn't called on the Lord in about four years. He was living with the enemy. He was living worldly, and all of the people that were with him were living worldly. And worldly life ultimately leads to despair. So here's David at the culmination of his worldly existence, having lost everything, and everybody around him had lost everything, and now they're blaming him. And David encouraged himself in the Lord, and he actually asked the Lord in this moment, what am I going to do? So here's how Jesus is, right? Even in the midst of your stupidity, he'll still answer you, because he loves you. <laughs> even, say it with me, even in the midst of my stupidity, I know we're holy saints, and we don't do anything wrong, and we're just righteousness of God in every way. It's how we act in church. We act like we don't ever do anything stupid when we do things stupid almost every single day. Right? We put our hair in a bun, we dress up, we come to church, we all look pretty. I'm all in, i let us all look pretty, let's all look good, but let's not pretend that we don't do stupid things. And let's not pretend that we don't we don't inherit consequences that are a result of our own actions. Let's not pretend. All right, let's just be clear. <laughs> this is what's happening here. And so even in the midst of his own stupidity, he asks the Lord, What do I do? And the Lord says, Do this, David. Do this. Lord's like, I've been waiting the whole time, dude. You know, man, I had a plan for you like three years ago if you would have asked me. <laughs> David's like, I got this, man. I got this. I got this figured out. Despair actually drove him to this place. So if you wonder how David ended up in this place, despair drove him there. Rejection drove him there. And David calls on the Lord and the Lord answers him. And David does what the Lord says and victory happens. Isn't that amazing? So when it all looks against you, say this, I will encourage myself in the Lord. Say this, Jesus always has an answer, even in my despair, even in foolishness in consequences. The Lord has an answer for me. He loves you. It's true. Put your hand on your heart. Say this. Jesus loves me. Jesus is for me. Even when I'm against me. Do you know that? He is for you, even when you're against you. It's an amazing thing. I told my wife I've been, uh, this verse, and Mark just kept standing out to me. Uh, I think it's Mark, but Jesus is saying, I, and uh, Mary comes to him and wants to touch him, and he says I, he said, "Don't touch me, for I have to ascend to our Father, to my Father and to your Father." seems like a simple statement until you realize what he's actually saying. Jesus puts us in equal status with himself. He didn't say, "I'm ascending to my Father and your God." I didn't say I'm ascending to my father and your king. He didn't say I'm ascending to my father and your master. All those things are true. He said, my father and yours. (laughs) That's what he did for you. He died for you to give you access to your heavenly father. Covenants, communion, relationship. You're his sons and daughters, man. He's for you even when you're against you. He has, no, he, has a, he has a word for you in the midst of any broken circumstance or situations you may think. God's got a word for you. God's got a way out. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No manner of temptation, trial, despair, destruction has, uh, has overcome you such that God will not provide for you a way of escape. He will provide for you. He'll give you a way out. You may not always like the way out, but he'll give you a way out. (laughs) Sometimes the way out is through the fire. The Bible says you will pass through the fire. Can I go around the fire? Nope, Kevin, you got to go through the fire. You will go through the fire, but you will not be burned. You will pass through the waters, but they will not overtake you. We're always looking for a way around. Sometimes God says the way around is straight through it. But don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. I think myself happy. Acts 26. So the first thing is you got to encourage yourself. you got to talk yourself into winning. you got to praise God. You've got you to encourage yourself. And you got to think yourself happy. Acts 26.2. Another guy, he's in, he's in jail. He's in prison. He's in chains. This is Paul right before he gets sent to Rome. Ching, 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 ching. Comes out in rags, standing in front of a king. All shot out. Didn't shower, hasn't shaved. King looks at him, says, what do you got to say, Paul? Paul says, I'm a happy guy. (laughs) I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because the Lord has given me favor, not just to witness to you. And he goes into this whole thing. But the sum of it is, he says, because I have been true to the heavenly vision. He said, you have to think yourself happy, Christian. Jesus is for you. You have the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. You know what separates Christians more than anything? Well, the word of God, yes. Salvation, yes. The Holy Spirit's what separates you more, whom the world cannot receive. world can read the Bible. world can even quote it a few now and then. But the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Encourage each other. You want to you raise the level of your expectation? You're feeling down? Encourage somebody else. We're a culture of exhortation. Encourage somebody. Encour- I encourage you today. To encourage someone. The Bible says the generous soul will be made rich. And those who water others, they themselves will be watered. Are you feeling dry? Are you feeling discouraged? Go exhort someone. Go encourage someone. Go bless someone. The Bible says that in doing so, you yourself will be watered. Lastly, when it looks like... No, well, I got, I'm almost done. When it looks like nothing is happening, keep expecting. This is another thing that we have to do. Say it with me. In order... To raise the level of my expectation, when it looks like nothing is happening, I need to keep expecting. Hadn't rained in Israel for three and a half years. No rain. Can you imagine what your lawn would look like if it hadn't rained in three and a half years? Good heavens! There'd be no golf courses, that's for sure. First Kings not down here anyway. First Kings eighteen. So now Elijah is going to pray for rain. Right? He's going to pray for rain. And he goes up on a mountain, and he kneels before the Lord, and he begins to pray. And he tells his servant, I want, as I'm praying, I want you to go up there, and I want you to look out over the ocean. And so he went, and he looked, and he comes back, and he says, Master, there is nothing. Six times the brother comes back. Elijah goes, go, nothing. Pray some more. Go, nothing. He does it six times. Yeah? And then on the seventh time, he said, go again. Go again. When it looks like nothing's happening, keep expecting. Six times, man. We do it once. Oh, I prayed one time. It didn't happen. God doesn't love me. <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. What, say it with me. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Why don't you say this? I'll put a knife in my mouth. Say, I'll put a knife in my teeth. Come on. I'm going to put a rag on my head. And I'm going to fight for what Jesus said I can have. That's tenacious faith. You pray one time. Remember the story of the king that beat the arrows? The prophet said, beat the arrows. And he goes. The prophet goes, are you an idiot? He said, you should have smashed those arrows to pieces. He said, because of the lameness of your expectation, your enemies will not be vanquished. But had you destroyed them utterly with expectation, he said, the Lord would have vanquished them for you. The king had no expectation. He had no faith or expectation in what God was going to do. The prophet said, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Dude, put some faith on it, man. Expect God. Oh, he's giving me arrows. What's what's the Lord want me to do? He wants you to smash the arrows on the ground. You know, dance on them. Turn them into splinters. So he said, the prophet fired an arrow out the window. And he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And he hands the king arrows. And he says, beat him on the ground. And the king goes, where's your faith, Christian? Even when it looks like nothing's happening. He said, then there was a small cloud as a man's hand. God's hand began to break through the atmosphere. So a cloud that looked like a hand in breaking, in breaking. Don't despise the days of small Beginnings. As soon as Elijah said, You see a hand breaking through the atmosphere, just a hand, he said, Hurry up and get everything ready because what's gonna come is gonna overtake us. So he said, Prepare the chariot and go down because this rain that's coming, he saw a hand. That's all he saw. He saw like a cloud that looked like a hand, the hand of God breaking into the atmosphere through prayer. And Elijah said, It's on. Even when it looks like nothing is happening, keep expecting. Jesus said, Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. It's a con- that verb, this in Greek, is a continuation. It's a continuation. Keep doing this. The one who keeps seeking will find. The one who keeps knocking, that door will open. I will continually hope, and I will praise yet the more. Romans says this, Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope so believed, There was no reason for Abraham to believe. God gave him a promise. There was absolutely no reason for this guy to believe. Yet he did anyway. He had an expectation. because And he became the father of many according to the promise that was spoken. He believed. If God said it, he had intention to do it. (laughs) There was no absolutely no reason for Abraham to believe what the Lord told him. None whatsoever. It says he hoped against hope. So here we go. Ready? I'm going to give you guys some exercises. I'm going to give you guys some takeaways. You might want to write this down or break out your phone. This is what I want you to do. I want you to put a reminder on your phone. The, other, the last thing is delight yourself in the Lord. It's another way. You want to have expectation? You begin to worship. It's amazing how your faith comes alive. It's amazing how your expectation changes. It's amazing how your perspective changes when you, come, when you begin to worship the Lord. It's amazing how your perspective changes from your, the way you were on the car coming in here. Oh Yes, we have communion to what's happening now. So I want you to put a reminder on your phone to praise the Lord. One dime every day. Make it a recurring one. 12, 10, 12, 12. Ah, that's a good one. Be patient in trials. Rejoice with everlasting hope and uh, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12. 12, 12 every day. Boop, dude. Oh, praise you, Jesus. I thank you. (laughs) Put a a reminder on your phone and quote a promise and make a declaration. I'm going to say one right now. Just say this. I declare... That I'm a son and a daughter or a daughter of destiny. This is your decree for the year. I will participate in marvels, in miracles, in extraordinary manifestations of the goodness and the greatness of my God. Just Put that on your phone. Ding, ding. Praise you, Jesus. I'm a son of destiny. I will participate in my just try that on. Philippians 4.19, we're gonna go a little more biblical. My God shall supply all my needs. Quote that promise. Every day. Just do it. Do it for a month. Do it for a week. Do it, do it for a week. See what happens. See if there's, see if there's a difference. Just a little ding-ding on your phone with a reminder. If you can believe, all things are possible to unbelieve. believe. Jesus, I thank you that all things are possible. My faith is in you. Romans 828, all things work together for good. Psalm 23, Lord, you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. These circumstances are not my shepherd. Fear is not my prophet. You are my prophet. I shall not want. I will be provided for. I will be taken care of. Psalm 37. Though I fall, <laughs> I shall not utterly be cut off. For the Lord will uphold me with his hand. The righteous will never be forsaken. Their descendants will never be for- begged for bread. Huh? Who told you that? The Lord is forever merciful and generous. And his descendants, his sons and daughters, they are blessed. Amen. Amen. That's for you. Amen. So I'm going to bless you guys. We're going to close the service. We're going to take communion here. So I'm just going to bless you real quick. Those are online. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Amen. Come on. I think myself happy.